I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to the Four Prompts on Death podcast, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts of I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Alexander Minot. Alexander is a 30-year-old son, partner, and dog father. I met Alexander in the years after college through previous guest Adam Arazi, and you can find that interview with Adam back in 2019 of May. And during this conversation, Alexander and I discuss his Jewish upbringing, the death of his father two years ago, and the challenges of bringing his family together in the wake of that death. Before we talk more about Alexander and this fun conversation that we had, uh, I just want to give some quick updates. Things are going okay here. I started working second shift uh, from 1, a- 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, so with those mornings free, I'm able to do stuff like uh, you know the podcast. I'm able to you know start editing stuff together. It gives me a little bit of free time um, to do certain things like work out more often, um, move, uh, it potentially line up interviews with some folks. Um, also makes it a little more challenging to have family time, so some, some pros and cons. Um, so I will be, you know, I think you've noticed that I've stopped posting those like re, those like reposts just to cl- kind of clean up your, uh, you know, podcast streams. However you, in, you know, however you ingest your podcasts. Um, I'm gonna do a little bit of uh, sprucing up of the website because I know it's been I've been kind of falling behind on keeping that nice and to get tidy and together. Um, so yeah, just, just, uh, this, uh, you know, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, um, September 22nd was the equinox, uh, so fall has begun, summer is dead, um, and so with that, you know, just doing some cleaning up, changes, um, reprioritizing things, um, it's been, uh, it's been an already a, a good, uh, shift, I, I am much more of a fall and winter person than I am a spring. Uh, winter, uh, summer or uh, spring person. So with that, let's go back to Alexander. So Alexander is a man in the middle of his life going through a lot of changes and entering the second phase and in a good place in his life. Before Alexander dies, he wants to leave this world and his family in a better place than before he was there, to see a lot of parts of the world, and to build a more meaningful connection with the rest of his family. When Alexander dies, he wants to be surrounded by his family and not in a hospital. After Alexander dies, he wants to have something other than nothing. And in conclusion, Alexander says, not everything is as personal as it seems. Everything is not so emotional. It's easier to be nice. It's harder to be a jerk. I agree, Alexander. Alexander, I call him my not. Uh, yeah, I think you might hear that a couple times in the interview. So this was a, a really great conversation. Um, I was there with Alex or Minot. I'm just still going to call him Minot. Um, I was there with Minot when he found out about his father's diagnosis of multiple myeloma. Um, this was in, he was saying, uh, so the diagnosis was given in June of 2018 and his father died in July. So it was a very quick, uh, downturn. Um, and I was there, I was there when he found out and it was that, you know, the, the way that he, it, it was very tough for him, and it was tough for us as a group of friends to support him through that. Um, and that was a lot of the reason why we've changed the way, as a group of friends, we interact and trying to be more intentional and, and emotionally vulnerable together. And so, if anything, you know, I think one thing that that death 
of his father brought is us as a group of uh, men and friends and brothers together. Um, and I think his dad would, from what I hear about him at least, would be quite uh, pleased with that outcome of his death. Um, and then, so that was about two years ago, a little over two years ago now. I, now, you know, since I'm recording this, uh, we recorded this interview in April. Um, so right when the coronavirus lockdown in the United States started to happen. Um, and for me, I think it was a good time to interview Alex because, or am I not, you know, I'll mess, I'll keep messing that up, don't worry. Um, I think this was a good, that was a good time to interview him because it was a well over a year um, since the death and kind of just seemed like Alex was in a good spot, um, in a better spot and, you know, a changing spot. Um, he had, and you'll, you'll hear it a little bit about in terms of his relationship with his uh, partner, Margot, um, and just the, you know, how he just made the decision um, or, or series of decisions to really commit to that relationship, um, how he, how that, the death of his father affected their relationship and how that affected the, all the relationships in his family, of course, you know, his brothers and his mom. Um, you know, you can, you can hear it in his voice, especially when he tells the story about the backpack, about how fresh a lot of this is and how there's still a lot of unprocessed grief um, because there's a lot of, like, you know, logistics that needs to happen in the, in the wake of a death. You know, there's, like, you know, titles and bills and all that kind of nonsense. Um, and also he lives so far away from his folks. Uh, he lives in L.A. and his parents, uh, you know, his dad and his mom, when they were, you know, when he was alive, were in New Jersey. And that's where his, one of his brothers lives, all that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit harder. Um, but so there's a lot of like, you can hear it. It's, it's, it's still fresh. Um, but it's also enough distance to really start gathering some lessons from it, you know, sort of seeing the new direction after that kind of an experience. This was a really great conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I learned a lot about Minot. I also learned a lot about, you know, like the, the Jewish calendar and how they read the Torah, you know, kind of consecutively. And the holidays are, are built around, you know, passages in the Torah. I just had no idea that there was like that chronological um, reading of the Torah in association with the Jewish calendar. So I learned a little bit myself that way. Um, and it was, it was just a, it was a very nice conversation. And I'm really interested to to sort of see how, you know, he changes and grows and um, how we all do. And I think you will enjoy this conversation. It is, um, you know, he's, he's, he's <laughs> definitely, and I think he would agree with me, he definitely has like a, the, the neurotic Jew, uh, you know, archetype within him. Um, but you can also hear that there's a lot of growth and in, 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 to me, especially compared to three years ago before all of this happened, um, there's a lot more peace in him that I hear. Um, and I think that's a large reason why he's, he was able to make that commitment to his partner, Marco. So I hope that you have uh, something lined up, uh, you know, whether it's just sitting and listening or, or you're going on a walk or a bike ride or what have you to enjoy this wonderful conversation with Alexander Minot through the four prompts on death. Enjoy. It is April 8th, 2020. I'm sitting here in my Orfield, Pennsylvania home, and Alexander Minot is sitting in his LA home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Alex, what are the four prompts? The prompts are, I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? This is the hardest one for me. <laughs> um, the things that I've been thinking about is when I say I am, part of me thinks like I am a 
I am a man in the sub middle of his life, kind of going through a lot of changes and kind of entering the second phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all I could really put into words around it. I know it's not, I don't have an adjective really for it right now, but I just feel like there's a lot of transition going around all the time or the next phases of life are now marked by very specific things that you can pick and choose to do that are like kind of normal things to do in a relationship and as you get older mm-hmm. and so, by that i mean go ahead oh so i guess what one thing i'm considering is so if, if you're right now in the state of flux um yeah. what was the last period of your life that was like stable and then where yeah, like you were just kind of mentioning it like where is this next phase that you're going into that's a good question. I think the last phase that was like a little more stable and just not as much of like a, hey, I'm ent- I'm about to enter the next phase of life was probably the past two-ish years, probably the past couple of years before I got, in- before Margaret and I got engaged, mm-hmm. where, you know, we're living together in Los Angeles, both working together and just like I don't know. Enjoying life is one thing to say, but that doesn't mean that we're not enjoying it now. But like we were mm-hmm. just being together and doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now we're engaged, we're going to get married, and the next things are like you have kids, you do this, you do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there's you're getting there's a dog soon. Like it's yeah, a- <laughs> that it's, like you're checking the boxes. Um, but but and to answer this even another way a lot of life is like marked in like series of four years periods when you mm-hmm. think about like grade school and then middle school and then high school and then college. And it's like kind of ingrains in us like this every four years, like you're stepping up to the next thing in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, when you start working and you're like out in the world, whatever you're doing, there's not like that big mark, like demarcation of like what's happening next. And usually that's either the big things come through a job change, moving geographical locations, which I've done all of those things, which kind of help with it. Um, I'm trying to think where I'm going with this, but I just think that I remember when I turned like turned 30 and it was like, well, what's the big next life thing? And it's kind of things we just mentioned before this, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like you're in your late twenties. You're just, there's nothing really to like really demarcate. Like you're an old person now or you're on the way <laughs> to being an old person. But like this year I'm going to be 31 in June and like, I'm only nine years away from being 40, which is like kind of crazy. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of why I feel like it's in flux. Like there's a lot of things I'm feeling now about what the next 10 years of my life looks like versus the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I mean, part of that too, is you just moved, you just started a new job. You've left like mm-hmm. some relatively like, you know, quote, cushy positions um, at like big, bigger names. Yep. And, um, I think there's like, when you when you were initially saying like I'm a man in in like approaching middle age like going into the next thing there's a lot of like angst there like there's a lot of yeah. like uncertainty and it sounds very much like you're you're like entering a chrysalis and you don't know exactly what you're going to come out as. Yeah, um, I would say I used to the angst used to be problematic for me, whereas now I feel like I'm more willing to. As something Peter would say take your hand off the wheel and kind of like let let things just drive you know mm-hmm. um but i i cannot acknowledge it or look at it in some way i can't just be like it, let me give you an example 
if someone asks me a good friend is like hello like if you're having a casual conversation and someone's like hello how are you like what's up like i generally don't know how to answer that question (laughs) (laughs) it's like and someone like some people just say good and like move on but i'm like well i don't know if i'm good i have all these things (laughs) you know i just it's Mm -hmm. it's hard for me just to like not bring in all the things that i'm feeling Mm -hmm. um and so I guess let's let's take let's take a few steps back. Um, did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood? I did, and the more that I look back on it and compare to other people's experiences, it was kind of intense. But at the time, I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, my both my parents are Jewish. I was brought up conservative Jewish, which is nowhere near close to like Orthodox or anything like that. But for anyone that is like much more like the casual familial like community-based judaism reform all that it's very different Mm -hmm. and by that i mean i went to jewish preschool so i think for the first couple of years like before i went to kindergarten i went to preschool at temple where like we learned hebrew and like stuff Mm -hmm. about judaism and then after that i went to hebrew school three times a week until i was bar mitzvah at the age of 13 which meant mondays and wednesdays after regular school i would go to hebrew school mm-hmm. um and then sundays also hebrew school and um yeah now that i look back at that it's like a lot <laughs> and then even after bar mitzvah which which is uh you know like the coming of age for a man or something in, in judaism uh, my parents required me to go to hebrew high school for a year at least mm-hmm. which looking back on it i should have maybe kept going to like adam was adam adam was always a part of these experiences with me we went to the same temple did all this stuff together um and some other friends too but i was just i just wanted to sleep so much and i like didn't care all about hebrew high school i was like why am i doing this and and it's not because i hate judaism i just like didn't feel like this deep connection with like the learnings and this and that Mm -hmm. but the reason why i say i should have maybe put in a little bit more there is because there was a lot of now that i'm older (laughs) very old apparently there was a lot of young people potentially thinking the exact same things that I was thinking there, but like were there because of their parents and because of like, you know, their parents wanting them to get that Jewish education even even further that probably just wanted to like make friends. And I know, I think Adam and some other people like made some friends there, you know, during this thing. And I don't know if they're friends now, but instead of looking at it as like, this is school, this is forced on me. I don't want to do it. I want to sleep. I could have had the different perspective of like, cool, I get to like be with all these people from random towns in my area that are just coming here on Sunday to like learn about you. But that's what a 31 year old would think versus what a 17 year old or 16, whatever, however old I was then, think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, um, and I guess, like a common story, especially for folks our age, is they're they're brought up in a specific religion, whether it's Judaism or Catholicism yeah. or Christianity. They're they're brought up to it. They go to college. They kind of go away from it, and then they like look back with a little bit more fondness than they may have, or they may return to it. Uh, does any of that sort of sound like you? I think a little bit. I mean, even even what I just said, I feel like is giving is a good example of that, right? Um, mm-hmm. I have like a lot of really early memories with like my with my mom's mother, like my grandma, like just going there for Jewish holidays. We go to temple with my grandma and then we go and just eat all this delicious food at home, right? Like lox bagels, like, or like we'd be meeting for the high holy days or having Passover Seder, which is tonight and tomorrow night. Um, and it's just like always 
it just shows you how food motivated I am at this stage in life. But like, it's all I can, it was always about like eating this gigantic meal with like your cousins and your close family. And that's when you get to see everyone. Um, and so I only have really good memories from that. Like there mm. are like, of course there are memories of like angsty Alex in Hebrew school being like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to be here. I want to be home watching TV or playing on my computer, or, you know, using aim, whatever it is that we're using. Um, but generally speaking, like it's all, it all was a very positive thing, I think, in my life in terms of like building a community and stuff like that. It, I think when I went to college is probably the first time that it really tailed off for me or like there was like a marked difference in like, what am I doing as part of my Judaism? Um, I went to a school that had a lot of Jewish people. Most private colleges have a ton of Jewish people. But I just, I was just busy. Well, this is the part where I was just busy having fun in college. You know? mm -hmm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a, other than like the text from mom or dad being like, oh, it's Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Are you going to services at one of these three places on campus? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not. Or, um, But even when I did go to some of those things, occasionally, like you just meet a bunch of really nice people in school and, most of them were slightly more religious than you, but it, it never really bothered me. I think, I think there's, um, this is not really part of your question, but like there, I have a very large, I don't have a problem, but like I have a, what really rubs me the wrong way is like Orthodox Judaism or really just radical radicalism of any kind is not something that I can look at and be like, I understand that. Um, and that doesn't have to mean just Judaism. It could mean any form. Like it could mean, you know, I, I can name you a bunch of religions, but whatever I name you is biased because it's whatever's coming to my head first. But let me just give you the example on Judaism. Like the, the most extreme forms of Judaism are not that different than some, are not that different in terms of how repressive they are towards women and a lot of choices that children can make as a, the same as extremist Muslims. Like, like it's just, it's not that different actually. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And it's kind of scary to think that like, those these types of people are actually in the same religion as me but like they would look at us and be like you're not even jewish like they would look at us completely different and we would and i look at them and think that they're not really part of what i believe to be my religion mm -hmm. and and something that you were mentioning a lot that i think has resonated with a lot of previous people i've talked about who have a jewish upbringing is like the community aspect like yeah. yes there are stories but it's it's also like because um there's such a like a literal like you are of the blood of like these people that have like, survived yes. the past you know, all this stuff there's like a lot of stories and a lot of community and food like you're discussing and it's less like um you know there's less like theoretical the theological discussions and more just like these are the people I see very regularly and I get to see yeah. them because of these things and that's a nice aspect of it right yeah yeah and I would also say I want to get into that but I think also I mean just like the bible like the, the way that the like Judaism works on like the Jewish there's a Jewish calendar right Hebrew mm -hmm. calendar and the way that the Jewish year works is that they read the Torah which is like the old testament from front, which is not a book, it's a big scroll with two things. They read it from the left or the right side all the way through to the left side. And they finish it, and that's the whole Jewish year. And then there are like holidays throughout that around different sections. And so, oh, really? Yeah. And so you're reading every, you're reading the exact same thing every single year. Like you're you're just going through the entire huh. Torah every year. And then so it's like the stories that you talked about, like about the the jews struggles the pyramids in egypt like all these things that are instilled in us from like being children is like 
you know, I think that builds a lot of the community or builds this sense of like belonging to something. I don't, I can tell you this, I've never once thought of a chosen person. I know that is how it's referred to, and mm-hmm. like people say that, but like that's never been like a thing that was like really pushed. It's more of just um, a lot of the stories about the community of, and what it's meant to do throughout time um, are just continually read and read and still in your brain. And then if you take the Torah away from it and like take the religion away from it and think about like the Holocaust and other historical events that occurred that like, could be in could be in a biblical text at this point in terms of how important they are to the religion. I think further that like kind of concept of community and what Jews have like the constant struggle that they've gone through. And even today, there's just like you know rise of anti-Semitism, Nazi scroll like on Nazi signs on walls. Like you know these things are not going away. Um, but if anything, it just kind of continues. The more that that I think this group of people feels like they are subjugated or just kind of attacked i think the more like kind of confined and closed off and the more like rallying within i think will happen Mm -hmm. um but to to kind of go back to your original question the community piece i think as i've gotten older absolutely that's like a thing and and great examples are like if we weren't in quarantine on lockdown right now like we would definitely be having like some some satyrs with our friends in los angeles to like celebrate passover um and generally around the holidays we'll do something with friends around a meal i I don't really go to services and and pray or anything like that but um we still do take advantage of that community aspect Mm -hmm. and then for for me as like a lay person i'm familiar with some of the terms um and like just because passover seder is like literally tonight and tomorrow like it is like it's uh, very fresh um what would you like i understand like it's like i remember i see photos of people sitting around the meal sitting around a table Mm -hmm. and they but like what what are the specific aspects that make it like the seder versus just a meal together sure uh so passover is it really is actually celebrating the story of the jews exodus from egypt Mm -hmm. um and the reason that you're celebrating this meal is because like this is essentially like part of the beginning well not the first part of the torah but it's like a very instrumental part of the beginning of the torah where like the jews were slaves in egypt and like god appeared to them and like Mm -hmm. communicated through moses that like we are the chosen people and he wants to lead us he wants to choose moses to like lead us out of egypt like into the land of zion which is like israel and so that's why this is like a more special more special like this is a holiday that like you get everyone around the table and sit and you read through this story um, around the table with everyone kind of participating in it and throughout the story there are different food objects on the table on this plate that kind of represent different things that occurred during during this time period for the jews and whether that's um some bitter herbs that you dip in salt and you eat to like remember the tears of the people there's a oh. lamb shank bone to remember like during the plagues where they had to put the x with blood of lamb's blood on their door to let you know the angel of death or whoever to come to know not to kill them and to kill the Egyptians. Like there's just a lot of interesting stories uh, here. Interesting. Um, and so it's kind of like a little bit more of a fun holiday, especially for kids. Cause there's just like the 10 plagues and you can like, you know, talk about those things or frogs, locusts, like all these crazy things. Um, when in reality, those are probably all awful things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, it's like a multi-generational holiday. And I think, cause you get two of them like one one night right after the next you like spend one with one side of the family spend the other with the other side and it's like this kind of this oh. cool event where you we're able to do where you're able to kind of see everyone in a couple of days yeah 
So that's why it's Passover Seder is two days. It's not just one. It's not just like a. It's well, it's not. I would say that we've adopted, we've made it so that you can see family both days. But like, there are two nights of Seder. The first two nights of Passover are Seders, where you like have that formal dinner, read through the Haggadah, oh. and have this plate. And then you know what matzah is, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. The bread of affliction when we had to. We had to run so fast from Egypt that we didn't have time for our bread to leaven. So we have these cardboard tasting crackers that we are forced to eat for over a week if you keep Passover. <laughs> but just to then bring it back to the how I view the religion, I haven't kept Passover in like years. Like it's I just I don't even eat that much bread, but like it's like I don't need to eat just matzah. And I think that I mean there's a couple of things that's like percolating up. Like one is I think it's so interesting that there is that multi-generational aspect to it. Like the kids are accepting, like, you know, they might be two, three years old, four years old, and just hearing the story or being able to process it for the first time versus like an old Jewish grandparent who is like, they've seen some shit. They've like, you know, they've heard this like 70, 80 years in a row. And it means different things to them every every time. And I think that's something really beautiful about that. Like every, like we're going through it again. Like, yeah, they probably remember their kids who are now have kids. And it's just like, yeah, it's just kind of this like generational thing, which I'm sure translates to a ton of other religions and in like major holidays too. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's very that's very beautiful. Thank you for, for going into that. Yeah. Um and so I guess to bring it back to you, um, how do you do you do you see Judaism playing a part in, you know, you mentioning bring like bring kids into this world. Um, yes. Is that something that you thought had thought about discussed with Margot? Is this just kind of ideas right now? Cause I mean, you're at dog stage. You're not at baby stage <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. We're not kids for a couple more years. Uh, thankfully, just because yeah. part of me also like, even before I get into that, like there's a very important piece to like life where it's like, I feel like I, we want to enjoy being a couple together. Mm-hmm. And once you have a child, that doesn't mean you don't enjoy it, but like you, then you are a couple with child. Correct. And so Correct. ideally, ideally our wedding is still on sometime in, in late, in late summer. And um, I hope to have many years or not many, but several years of like, Hey, we're like happy. We're married together. And then like, that's a, you can't ever go back to that. <laughs> Once you have the kids, that's your life. And so yeah. um, <laughs> I want to, and I'm, and I'm not trying to delay that at all. It's just more of like recognizing how special that time is before too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes we are both Jewish. I was brought up more religious, like the, the, the religious education and schooling that I just told you about, like Margot, I think her and her brother went to Hebrew school for like less than two years. Cause they like had an intervention with their parents that they didn't like, and they didn't want to go. <laughs> um, which is crazy. Cause my parents would like literally just be like, great, you're going to go. So go. Um, and her parents were like, great, you don't have to. But so they were not bar about mitzvah, but they are Jewish um, and they, you know, do all the Jewish holidays associated with all the things. But there definitely is like a little bit of a gap in like knowledge is the wrong answer because it's not like I know more than her. It's just like a gap in a gap in experiences, I would say, maybe then based on it. Um, And so we definitely will raise our kids Jewish. I don't know how I don't know if that will look more like what I had or I. I lean towards something a little bit less than what I have, but definitely more than what she had. Like, I, I can't imagine not having kids get bar and bat mitzvah, A, because those are the best parties for kids. And <laughs> I've never been to one as an adult where I could just drink and I probably won't do it at my own child's one. But however, like, it's basically like a little, it's a party. And, you know, it's just, it's 
it's almost because it's something that I went through and did and it was a, I felt good during it, right? Like, you know, you're you're doing this thing to kind of traditionally become a man. Um, and just seeing how happy my parents were during all three of them, because I have two brothers, mm-hmm. uh, was something that I definitely would want for my kids. So I don't know what that looks like 20 or I guess 20, 20-ish years from now. Maybe there'll be a, a slimmer amount of education and schooling needed to get to kind of get there. Um, but I can't imagine putting my kid through three days of Hebrew school. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha um and i guess you know i think we've talked a lot about um you know the the formative like ideas that were kind of put into your brain um and we kind of talked a lot about that like transition period that you're going through um and a little bit about where you're going but i wonder is there anything else on that list of i am that it's kind of like percolating to your brain I'm thinking my science is thinking mm-hmm. I don't want to say the word like happy overall because that's I think like again I struggle and I'd be angsty about like using adjectives but I feel like I am in a really good place in a lot of aspects of my life that's what I'll say um had a lot of you know tragedy in the past year year and a half um and just being able to move forward in my life in the way that I think I have and still like make decisions and changes that need to be made I think to me I see that as like a really big success for me where sometimes I get like paralyzed by some things or it's very easy to like let a lot of the bad stuff going on that directly that affects me or even in the world like really like bring you down and I feel like my headspace is in a place where I've been able to continually like move forward and try to be as happy as I can be is what I'll say. Um, I think I definitely have some like depressive tendencies. I don't know if that's that abnormal these days, um, but I'm trying to like find the joys and the things in life that, that, or, you know, do the things in life that will bring me joy. So mm-hmm. I think if you, we did this a year and a half or two years ago, it, it wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be able to say that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've noticed a change in you um, over the past year two years and um yeah. you know we we, have, we don't spend a lot of time together but when we do it's sure. pretty intense time but um yeah i think that there's definitely been an interesting change in you um and that's part of why i'm like this is i think the time like why not during the quarantine <laughs> yeah yeah no and and uh, part of me also thinks like like i'm like i'm 30 but like maybe you still feel like a kid inside right like i don't mm. know if you feel that different than you did when you were younger um i don't but i also at the same time feel like some parts of me have really matured like significantly mm-hmm. in the past couple of years more than I would have predicted you know mm-hmm. um and I think that's a good thing because it just kind of helps you handle those next things that come in life so mm-hmm. do you um I mean can you attribute or explain how those changes have happened to you, you know, where you aren't getting bogged down so much by uncertainty or um, the, these depressive phases? Is it just having lived longer um, and had it, having some of these tragic experiences and being on the other side of it and knowing that you're strong enough to, or like? I think it's it's a mix of a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. It's It's definitely going through tragedy and loss is awful during the time, but how you handle that and come out of it and how you support your family and your loved ones Mm-hmm. really can change the way you feel about yourself and what you're comp- capable of. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you look like to the outside. It just matters like what you're doing to the people that need it and you care about and the way that that makes them feel and the way it makes you feel. And I feel like 
we can get into this but like i mean i'm sure we will at some point about my mm -hmm. dad but like the things i was able to do for my mom and i'm still doing today for her like it just makes me think like if i can do that like what can i like i can do most things in life mm. um but i but i would attribute a lot of kind of what you're asking me about um to kind of like finally being open and vulnerable with my partner where mm. like you know like getting over this hump of like I mean, getting over to the hump of like commitment more than we had before, which to me, I was always like, we're living together. We're committed. She's like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, and then like kind of getting over the fear of that and mm -hmm. just, you know, going for it. And then once you do that and then realizing that this person is here to like support you and in, in every way you possibly could imagine um, and not having like fear of that anymore really just kind of like helps put, put me in like this different kind of headspace where like, there wasn't this like uncertainty or question in my mind about her. And then there wasn't about that question about anything anymore. You know, mm -hmm. like, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like once you have someone that like kind of can kind of be your rock, it's like, cool. Now I feel like when I think about my career and other things, like I, I can make these changes. I don't have to be so uncertain or if I, or if I feel paralyzed, like I go to this person and they, and they know me potentially better than I know myself because they're the outside, you know, viewer mm -hmm. and they can help guide me. And what I'm learning is that most things that Margot pushes me towards or, you know, advises me on, she's always right. And I always fight her on it like very much, <laughs> like even moving to this new, this new house or like, to give you some examples we talked about moving to LA or California for like over a year when we were together in New York. And like the minute that like, it was like real and we're doing it, like, of course I had like a mini freak out. I'm like, how do we leave New York, it's New York? And then like, we got there and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm never leaving. Right. Like, it's just <laughs> like once I got there, I was so happy, but like, there's always this like moment of the cliff and it's like, do we jump or like, I don't know. And then what I'm learning is that you do jump, but you jump together and it works mm. out. And and part of that is like, we just moved to this new place and I gave her, you know, it's enormous. It's beautiful. It's like different part of town than where we live, but it was really like, I struggled too. I was like, I don't really want to move even though we're unhappy in the old place. And then once we get here, it's like, I can't imagine living in the old place. Like, especially during this, like, it's just so much better to be here. Um, and now with the dog, it's like, <laughs> same type of thing. We're like, well, I want one. Should we get one? We're getting one. Um, <laughs> but she's not usually wrong about like, what's it, what, is, what's this going to bring to her, to me, to us, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, I think once there's some part of me that like, once I was really able to understand that I should be committed to her and that I wanted to be, it helped me to kind of just with everything else going on in my life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I haven't spent much time with Margot, but I do see like, there's a, a deep, like, layer of certainty in her um and it's not mm -hmm. not like not like she knows she can like lift a car off a baby or anything you know but like she, i think there's just like a steadiness about her her character yes. that i that i can yes. appreciate um just from my, my limited interactions with her and i'm i'm it's something that i see very much in Mackenzie too and it's mm. um i think i had a very similar experience with you where it's just like once i understood how much she saw me and like appreciated me and was just like we're here it really changed how much i felt like i was able to do in the world yes. um and it's a very it's very humbling and um i guess the question that i have for you about that idea is 
how did you come into that acceptance of it and, and like that 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 like layer of commitment what was that decision process like for you was it a decision i mean not really but like i mean y- yes anything could be but like part of me just struggled with it for a while because i don't i don't know how to i don't know how to put this into words so i'm gonna think about it um i agree with everything you're saying like once you have this person that like you know looks at you in that certain way and forever and will just like you know unconditionally love and support you it's like that's all you need in life and that's that's mm-hmm. how i feel mm-hmm. um but for a, a while i like kind of fought that i was like and it wasn't it wasn't that like there was other people i was interested in it was more of like is this the right person for me mm-hmm. and do i know if how do i ever know if that person is mm-hmm. um and i think the answer is you never do know <laughs> And and it's like you can get distracted by other things going on around you and, and look around and be like, well, maybe this person could be better for me. I don't know. But like at the end of the day, um, no one really knows. And you give it your best shot with a person that, you know, you have all this connection and, and, and you're, you know, comfortable with already. And like you said, I don't think it was a decision. Like the, it was always obvious. Like the answer was right in front of me the whole time. But like I just chose for, for reasons unknown to me, I chose to kind of ignore it or like fight it for a while. Um, but like, I just think it's just, and some people will say, well, guys always have a hard time, you know, committing to be engaged or this or that. Um, but there's no like book that we've all read on like what to do here. Like mm-hmm. no one's taught us to like, here's how you need to take the next step. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it can kind of just be really strange and, and forever is, is a weird term to think about or till death, like mm-hmm. perfect for this podcast is like a weird thing to think about. Um, because the science part of me maybe not science the other part of me realizes that like there absolutely is not just one person for you in this world like as in every single one of us would could definitely be in the exact place we're in right now and there could be a different human being in my house in your house and that would like be normal right and so Mm. not getting over that but like understanding that like that's a very that's a theoretical type thing that just like can't really influence your daily life um that's also something I thought about. Mm. Yeah, it's like you can, you, there's like the uncertainty that like, yes, a person could fill this role, but like at a yes. certain point you need to collapse the uncertainty and just be like, yes. this is the person, right? Yes, yes. Or if you don't, then you're just, then, you know, then you'll be alone forever, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess, and, and then a question, like how would you, 30 going on 31-year-old Alexander, like is could you even goose 26 year old alexander along or do you think it was it really was the experiences over the past couple years and just just life happening to you you hitting this this point in your life or do you think there was anything that you could say now to get through to that younger alexander i think there really is yeah honestly like part of me part of me like regrets in some way having like this struggle at all right or like it did manifest itself in our relationship like it did like we did have tension we did have issues like when Mm -hmm. like this when exactly what i'm talking about to you was what we discussed it's like it's really not it's normal to talk about things but like it's not as normal to sit in your couch with the person you're living with and be like i'm not sure about this right like Mm -hmm. and um i think and the, the reason i think i could have talked to my younger self is because when you don't appreciate what you have right in front of you, that's kind of like, you know, you're looking around 
not looking around like if you don't appreciate what's right in front of you you're just not going to see it and, and mm-hmm. i think that there's probably been some wasted time in the past five years of the Margot by me not appreciating it um we've had some great times but there's also been times where like i wasn't all there because even you know like even in my headspace like i'm here but like do i want to be here is this the person for me and like the the answer was always yes but there was definitely experiences and, and times where like that came out and I could have enjoyed more and like used more, like use the time we had together more, like just use the time better, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like that in that, that sort of like seven years or like, like 20 years before you're like having another, a bar bot mitzvah for your kid. And like for the like couple of years that you have to just be a couple, but to like really enjoy it, to like really, yeah. like really live yeah. that time versus yeah. just kind of being like that uncertainty time versus like the real time can look yes. similar but they feel worlds apart right whereas like from the outside it looks normal to everyone but like if you think about how we feel about each other now and like where we're at now and knowing that like, and this is our lives are connected like we, we support each other and like we're both in like there's no question right committed and mm-hmm. if that feeling existed two to three years ago and i and i had the right questions being asked to me or i was able to get there like imagine what those past three years could have been like you know mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think I when we think about death, it's like the only, the most valuable thing in our lives is time, and it bothers me to think that I've potentially or knowingly wasted time. Mm. And I think you know, I think this is let's. Are you ready to move on to that next prompt? I think it's it's calling to us. Yeah, let's do it. How do you finish that next prompt of "Before I Die, I Want"? (sighs) Before I die, I want. I want to leave my world and my family in a better place than, than I guess than before I was there. I'm not, I'm not saying I want to leave like earth in a better place. I say my world and my family mm-hmm. um, because I, I tend to not believe in the power of one human being. History has proved me wrong many times, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, my personal power. And I think, but what I mean by that is like, when I think about my dad passing away, um, you know, he kind of grew up with really nothing. And then he was able to give a college education, you know, to all of his children and, you know, with my mom as well. And he was able to leave my mom with, you know, enough that, that she, if, when she retires, she'll be okay. Right. And like being able to leave something, behind mm-hmm. it, whether it's physical whether it's monetary whether it's like you know something else mm-hmm. i think is important um because then your impact is kind of always felt and, and there's people who are always thinking about you and remembering you for what you're able to provide for them mm-hmm. um another example my i believe my mom when my grand my mom's mother my grandma passed away the only grandparent i really had a relationship with um, I believe she left like a college fund that actually helped pay for a lot of our college as well. Mm-hmm. So like, I didn't learn about that until like literally until my dad passed away and I was helping my mom with all her finances and stuff. And she's like, Oh, well, this is from your grandma. This is this. And um, just being able to say that or do that is like, I think very meaningful, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if, if you're able to have a relationship with someone and they're able to leave you something and it doesn't have to be monetary. I know that's the example I'm giving now. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, whether it's knowledge, whether it's something else, I just think that's like the way to make a lasting impact on the world. I don't, I don't think like 
I think a lot of people feel pressure to be like a Mark Zuckerberg, a Steve Jobs, and like, I need to leave the iPhone on the world. I need to build an app or like this crazy internet company that's worth billions of dollars. I don't feel that pressure. And I think none of us are those people or most of us are not. And so I don't feel pressure to like change the world or build something that like, you know, that gets me famous or rich. It's, it's more about how am I impacting the people around me? And I think that your specific example about the things that your father did um, really gives it like a weight that is more understandable. And when you say like yeah. my world and like my family um, and improving that, um, I guess do you, and I, and I think you are hopefully at least like decades away from like, you know, when you die, but um, yes. do you know, like, can you, can you imagine the ways in which you will, improve or better the people around you and your world yeah um well part of me like uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna go back a little bit before i answer this so when i think about my parents um my dad died when he was 70 kind of young but he worked from the age of when he graduated college until he died and my mom worked then she had kids didn't work and now she's been working for like 15 20 years again um and I say this because the only reason my parents were working <laughs> is to really like provide for us, right? Like they had three boys and mm -hmm. they have to feed us and clothe us and send <laughs> us to school. And like, you know, and you have kids, you get this, but like, you know, we have all these needs and it's not, it's, it's just like they were working to like fulfill, to really like give their children a life and like mm -hmm. have, you know, pass something on. And so when I, when I think about like what I would want to do, um, I know this seems like really high level, but like really just like, I feel like what more can you do than like provide a life for people, right? And if it's if it's through my children or, you know, my my siblings that have children too, like being able to just provide for them in some way, um, I think is really meaningful. Um, and then something I, did, I just thought about this right now too, but like even even being like an organ donor or something like that, where like, if you're dying and your body is going to be buried, like why wouldn't you give everything you have to other people to like potentially save a life or something like that? Mm -hmm. um, and so the things that are like top of mind to me right now are just like education. Cause that was like such a Jewish thing instilled <laughs> upon me as a young mm -hmm. age. Um, I really think, yeah, I think like just being, cause who knows how much college is going to cost. When our kids come <laughs> Do you, um, Like when you, when you also, when you talk about like education for, for the next generation, or I guess, let me, let me take it back. So one thing that is, that I'm really feeling about your story about your father is it's a very similar story to what my father went through. Like he grew up very poor, very, very poor mm -hmm. in post-war Korea, um, post-Korean war. Um, and he immigrated to America and he like built, he, you know, it seemed similar thing. He, he was able to give his three children college educations that he, you know, he had to pay he had to like work and tutor kids yep. when he was in college, that whole thing. And like, so it was, it's been way easier for me and um, it's going to be way easier for Junsu than it is probably was for me. You know, I didn't live a difficult life, but like for him and it's like, yes, I want to like give him all of these things. And, and I want just, it's like at a certain point, it's just like, I just want to see what he does with it and yeah. um, let him just kind of like romp around. But I think that there's something so interesting about that intergenerational like effort to get the next generation just to a better place than you were at yeah no i completely agree um i also 
part of me always thinks like I haven't like had to like struggle for like a day of anything in my life, which is like, obviously we've all had like, you know, tragedies or this or that affect us in some way, whether it's my dad or other things that happened to family or friends, but like, I've never had to be like, where's my food? Where's my water? Mm -hmm. Where's my shelter? You know, like, it's just like, these are things that like, I've never had to think about. Like, these are the, the necessities for us that we take for granted. Um, but they're not for granted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there, there's a cost and there's, you know, and so those, those things I think are things that now that I'm older and can think like this are things that like, even if you can just get bad, <laughs> it's not the easiest thing. Um, mm -hmm. And the, yeah, I just, generation being better or having it better off or being more well off than the next. Um, yeah, I think once you have kids, the equation changes and it becomes completely not about you anymore. And it becomes all about what can I do to leave to make this person have the best life they can, right? Because that's, you're going to live on through that person. And that's like, that's, that becomes the meaning. I'm, tell me if I'm wrong for, but that's like, I assume that becomes the meaning of your life at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Changes. Definitely. You're right. It definitely changes everything. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, what else do you want before you die? Hmm. I feel like I want to see a lot of other parts of the world. And I don't mean like travel. It's, uh, it just is like, I think about like the, the sense of the, like the constant urge for novelty that I want. And like living in the age that we do of like visual information, Instagram, like kind of living in this age. There's like a lot of places that I like marked on a map that I would like to go see or experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and those are things that I think, you know, you can do it when you get older, when you're retired or this or that and, and kind of travel around. But I think I'd like to do those when I'm younger and I'm more able. And, 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 you know, I think once I get older and more cranky and cratchety, cratchety, I won't probably want to travel or do anything. I'll just want to hang out at home. Um, and so there's definitely a lot of places in the world to see the world I like to do. That being said, if you like, if you were to see a map of where I've been, you'd be like, you've been you've been to all these places already but like you know <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of like kind of like nature type stuff that i'd like to see because I, I just don't think i've developed an appreciation for it as much as i or i don't believe i've been able to like manifest like uh, some act, action or trips out of as much as i appreciate it mm. um i guess also before i die i want I'd like to like build a more meaningful connection with the rest of my family. And by that, I really mean just my brothers. Like I have two brothers, but like, we're not very close. Like we talk occasionally, but like there's, there's an element of where like, if we don't do specific things, like, are we going to have family gatherings and do this and that? Like when we're all older. Right. And like, I live in mm. California, they both live in the East coast and like, something will be lost if we don't become very intentional about like when we see each other and how we do things. And if we don't do that, then like the Minot family is not a thing, right? Like it's, 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 um, and I think about what like my parents would want and it's just, I think we really need to, to do a lot more to like make a meaningful connection there so that our families are like interconnected and like, you know, it's not like a, we see them twice a year type thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I get, so, so bringing it to your brothers, where, like, what, where are you in the three, in the three? On the middle, which is middle. why I'm so angsty. <laughs> how, 
how much older is your older and younger is your younger? Daniel was born in 86. I was born in, Daniel's three years older than me. So he's 30, 33 or 34 around there. And then Zach was born in 91. So he's like 28, 29. So a pretty tight group. Pretty not, not, yeah. not spread out by like decades or anything like that. No, no. Harvey and Rhonda, they, they just, just got it done, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I guess like, were you ever like as a trio like were you ever really close um i mean you think we'd be we live in the same house right um mm-hmm. but we kind of just fought a lot like not like physical right but we just argue we're all obnoxious in our own ways and like our parents never really took us on vacations because we were just problematic when we were together right like <laughs> they like, wouldn't want to bring us to, like a restaurant because they're like fuck like these three boys like they don't shut up they just like argue and fight and mm-hmm. um so part of me used to tell myself that like that's the reason why we didn't go on vacation but the more i've like learned in the past year and a half is like my parents were actually just very people like to stay home too and and you know and i think they they both are workaholic not maybe i don't use that term in a negative way but like they definitely derive a lot of meaning from their lives day to day from work Mm-hmm. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the rest part of that meaning, I think, was through through their children and through and through each other. Um, but, yeah, we, we just, like, weren't the best kids. <laughs> that, that being, but, like, that being said, like, none of us, like, ever, like, had issues with, like, the law or this or that. It's just, mm-hmm. like, you know, we just, we were just difficult. Mm-hmm. Do you... And I would say I'm closer to each of my brothers than they are closer to each other. Oh, that's an interesting. So you are like the middle in like more than one sense of the word. Yes. Yeah. Do you, um, and, and the reason why I'm kind of like curious about this is because this is an effort that I'm trying to make. So my grandmother died, um, last year. Um, and the first time that the greater, like her, all of her children were together and like her Mm -hmm. grandchildren were all together was for her funeral. And we were like, this is actually kind of nice. We like hanging out with each other. Like, um, why do, why can't we just do this when bad things don't happen? you know, like, um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, because this is not a thing we've done before, where where it's very slow, and then all of this going on, and like, I have a baby, so like, it kind of put on the back burner, but it's something that I'm very, it's like, in the back of my mind of just like, I want to make sure that my Korean, like, my dad's Korean side of the family is like, we can still interact, and we're, you know, even though we do, like, uh, you know, I, I, I want that to be a thing, and yeah, I see that playing out over the next like decade. Um, do you, how do you, where, when do you see this like bringing of your brothers in, in your generation of the family a little bit closer yeah. or like, when do you see that happen? It's a great question. Um, it also, what you said about like seeing your office family at a funeral, it's like the only time we all see each other and the whole family these days is weddings and funerals, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just like, how this happens um but for my brothers like i mean i think daniel's on the path to having a kid in the next one to three years probably more in the one to two um and so like i guess being a meaningful uncle and being a part of that mm. would require us to like really do something there um and like part of why i'm saying this is like once my dad passed away you would have thought that we would have gotten closer in some way but like if anything it was more of the same like no one made an effort to reach out or 
get closer probably really other than me um i'm not trying to sound like selfish or arrogant here but like mm-hmm. it's it's just like nothing really changed between us mm-hmm. which is kind of sad not not that not that we, like, we need something to change because of my dad's death but like you would have thought that it would have been like brought us a little bit closer together but it hasn't changed anything um and the thing i think about is that like if my mom or when my mom passes away like then we have nothing except each other and like mm-hmm. if we're not in a place of where like there's communication and like gathering and sharing and like then it's like part of me thinks like the family in some way is dissolved and like that would be like very tragic and sad to my parents to think that like mm-hmm. we're not close and we're not spending time together and we're not to continuing traditions whether it's the jewish holiday or thanksgiving whatever it is like you know those are important things that like if you don't do that with your family then it's gone and like it's not i, I think it's it's harder to bring it back once it's gone Mm-hmm. absolutely and i also and, but, I, and i also think sorry no no go for it i also think distance is definitely a thing where you know they all live in the east coast and we don't have any plans to move back um but hope, maybe it's quite possible that like one of my two brothers moves out moves out like somewhere more in the middle of the country or to the west coast so that would make things easier mm-hmm. um and, you know, I don't know that your like family dynamics growing up or even like, sure. you know, in the last couple of years uh, before your dad's death. Um, but it's also like when like I, I also what I'm hearing, uh, like kind of subtextually, and I want you to tell me if this is right or wrong, is like there was like a lack of like clear, not like leadership, but like mm-hmm. who who's kind of like who's going to step up, you know? And it sounds like you, you've stepped up in ways, like in terms of like taking care of your mom and supporting her in ways. Um, But especially when it's like brothers and there's no, you know, you're, you're all close in age. So it's not like one of you is like 10 years older and in totally different stage of life. It's this tough, it's like who steps up and who, who even has the skills or the life development to be able to step up into not, not not like the father role, but you know what I mean? Like a a sort of like leadership. Leader. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I think I was doing a little bit of that. I think my dad, my dad was like a very non-confrontational, like no conflict type of person. Like mm-hmm. he would want us all home during certain times of the year to like spend time with each other as a family. But in terms of like organizing that time and those dates, like he was like, you go, fig- you go talk to Daniel and figure it out. My <laughs> older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, I think now we would require, it requires, yeah, this is like a whole this is a whole nother thing where like, I, if I don't do it, it won't get done. That's mm-hmm. like how I feel mm-hmm. about this. And that's mm-hmm. also, and, but that's not just a feeling about this. It's like a life feeling I have about a lot of things. And Absolutely. it's just, and it's a thing that maybe it's pressure I put on myself or, and maybe I don't give people time to get things done, but like, um, I'm kind of like a person that likes to get shit done. And like, if I have a task I need to accomplish, like I want to do it. Uh, I'll give you an example. <laughs> I call my brother on Monday or Sunday, like, Hey, can you send me a list of all the things I need to buy for the puppy? Like, cause they got a dog about a year ago. And like, Oh, I need to buy this things. Cause there's all these shipping delays right now with COVID. It's been four, three, four days, whatever, since then nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and so I've just talked to other friends and got everything I needed. Um, and so I think there's also this element of where with my mother, super paralyzed by any decision like even if it literally like can't make a decision about anything like trying to book her flights to come to my wedding she's like 
well, should I do this one or this one? I'm like, it's a two hour difference. Like, what do you want to do? Like, can't decide that. Like these things are like debilitating for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I think it's a lot of anxiety and neuroticism. And I think it, it's gotten worse since my dad died. Um, but because of that, like I very much, I go like the polar opposite, right? Where like, I just do shit. Like, because I don't want to become, you, you see the things you don't like in your parents. You're like, I don't want to become that. I don't want to do that. You know, it's like, whether it's the hoarding situation in my basement at home too, it's like, I don't leave shit out here. You know, like I want to be the opposite. I, I have to go really far in the opposite direction. And it really bothers me if I find myself doing something that, that feels like the things I see that I don't like from, from my mother, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so that's why going back to like the, the leadership role where it's like, if I don't do it, no one will. Um, and if no, and I need to make the decisions because otherwise we're never going to make one, you know? Mm-hmm. Very much the same feeling that I have about my greater family too. It's like, if not me, yeah. then who? Um, and who am yeah. I waiting for? Because, um, you know, like, like sort of like with the Margot thing, it's like, we could have done this three years ago, you know, like what, what, what relationships could have been strengthened and changed and uh, grown more um, in those couple of years uh, while I was yes. kind of like waiting for someone else to do the thing that I needed to do. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Do you, how do you, I guess like what, what is, so like you reach out to your brother about the dog. What are some other like actionable, like near future things that you imagine for, for building those relationships or like trying to strengthen that your generation together? So we actually had, this is like not just us as brothers, but like my older brother got married in August or July of last year. Um, and then his bachelor party was in June of last year. And that was like the first time that my older brother and my younger brother and I were like doing something together, literally outside. Like the first time we were like hanging out outside of like the town we were in, in like a decade, mm-hmm. you know, like the first time we like, normally we go home to, to Hillsdale, New Jersey and hang out maybe we go to get food like we don't do anything else this is like the first time we're like oh we're like hanging out somewhere with each other outside of this experience um and it was cool it was fun we like we did stuff you know like it was cool um and so part of me thought that like that would be like a nice little like kick to like get things going um but i never really pushed or followed up anymore on it um Mm. i also I talked a lot to my younger brother about coming to visit Los Angeles or me in California around Thanksgiving of 2019. So like somewhere between Thanksgiving and the new year that we just passed. Uh, and he was interested, but like, I know that like, if I don't book his ticket, he's not coming, you know, mm-hmm. like he's just, he lives at home. My mom still, he's still very much in like a stuck stage of life of where like, he just is like, why would I leave the house? Like, I don't have to pay. Well, he does pay rent now, actually. <laughs> pays a thousand a month which is a lot um but yeah he's like why would i move like i he just doesn't understand that like for him moving out of the house and you know having his own place and getting separation from my mother is like not an important life stage where Mm -hmm. to me that's like literally the most important thing you need to be doing five years ago right like Mm -hmm. i don't think you're ever going to advance in your life and mature and change your like flip this like if you think about a a railroad car like living with my mom still for 20 eight years of his life as soon as he moves out like the switch goes and like it veers to that next like that turn right and like i just don't think he sees that and i want that for him and so that's why i wanted him to come out here not because he's going to move here but like hey look at what you can do you can be anywhere that's not home and Mm -hmm. um that trip has not happened yet uh obviously with covid now that's on the back burner but um 
I don't know. There, there are a bunch of next steps I can take, whether that's at my bachelor party, mm. whether that's at my wedding. I don't, cause I don't know how, I don't know how much is happened in between now and then just due to what's going on in the world, but we have to get way more intentional. Like, you know, whether that's a, a brother's trip every year that we just go do something cool together. We talked about doing national parks, this or that. Um, but those are the things I'm thinking of. And I just know that I have to do it. And I have mm-hmm. to be the one that plans it. Mm-hmm. Yep, heavy. It's a heavy, heavy responsibility. But I think uh, you know, part of that like chrysalis phase that we were talking about earlier is is stepping up to that role um, rather than yeah. sort of letting it slip by. It sucks, but you know, at I, least you're doing it. Yeah, but on on the flip side, though, once you're in control a lot, like you don't like not being in control. Like it's if I have like, I'll give you an example. Like if we had friends like before COVID kind of hit, we had, we moved to our new place and we had friends say like, let's go get dinner. Um, and we want to pick a place in Korea, in Koreatown and like, we'll get some Korean barbecue. And like, it was one, they were like, we'll pick it. We'll meet you guys there. Great. And it was like wonderful for me to be like, I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to like show up to this meal and like, don't plan at all. But there are other times or other things where like during, if we're traveling or doing a bigger trip or this or that, like, I want to be in like control and I don't like the feeling of where like, I'm not making decisions and mm-hmm. I don't have like a choice in something, even if it's something I want to do anyway, I like want to want it to be so that I'm making the choice to do it. <laughs> control is still, it's a weird thing. Yes. Yeah, it can be quite addicting. And um, yeah, that letting, letting go of the wheel that you were talking about from Peter, it's like, it can be, yes. it, it can be easy to do in certain circumstances, but very hard to do in other ones. Right. Yeah, like a meal, ten minutes from my house, easy. If we're gonna go to be, if we're gonna go to another country, and you're like, we're planning everything, I'm like, no, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Oh, and then just like to to close this loop, I think it's also for your younger brother. It's like one thing if they, if he, if he were to leave and come back to live with your mom, but to have never, you know, flown the coop as it were, that's a whole different proposition, right? Like if, if he's like, yeah. you know, I, I do all the things and I, you know, I, I like being close to my mom and, you know, she, I don't know how long she, you know, all of those things, you know, that's, that's a whole different proposition than just like, oh, it's so cozy here. Yeah. It's not that it's not the former. It's definitely yeah. the latter. It's mm-hmm. a mix of, he just has never like, part of me thinks like because of this, he's never grown up. Right. He went to college for sure. He like lived away from home for four years. Um, but I think he takes the easy option where it's like, you know, he lives at home because that's just, it's just, how do you get out of this mental mindset of like living with your mother when you're almost 30? If you, you have to leave the only way to do it. And I just think like, whether it's dating, whether it's, you know, anything like how, like you're a guy that like is lives at home with your mom and you have a good paying job and you could leave, but he just chooses not to, or he doesn't see the value in it, you know? And it, it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way or bothers me. It's not that he's taking advantage. It's just like, I want him to have more and he's refuses to allow himself to do that. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know what I'm also picking up is it's almost like, it's almost as if you 30 year old Minot, I'm t- trying to talk to 26 year old Minot yes. about, you know, about the whole Margot thing. And you're just like, just yeah. make the leap, just, just do it. Just but do it's, it. it's yeah. so it's, you know, it's, uh, you can want it as much as you want, but it's, it's gotta, it's gotta happen at a certain time or maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he still makes all the wrong decisions. Like he bought a Tesla model three performance. <laughs> so it's like a $60,000 car. Right. Um, but like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, like 
I know plenty of people that make way more money than my younger brother that don't have that car because like that car doesn't make sense to have, right? And mm. for him, his priority is like, oh, this is shiny and new. I want this. Like, I don't really need to. I'll pay off this loan in a couple of years, then I'll move out. And like, then it will be the next thing. And then we'll be mm-hmm. the next thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, the priorities aren't on straight. Um, and uh, it's just kind of sad to see, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else on that list of before I die, I want? Or should we move on to the next one? I don't know how deep we got in terms of like, in terms of in terms of those things, but I think maybe we should move on. Yeah, I think I think we got into some good depth, but I think that the true depths are are right ahead of us. Um, okay. How do you finish that next prompt of when I die, I want? I think when I die, I want to be surrounded by my family and not in a hospital. Um, and I guess I also just want to be like ready for it and like a sense of peace and not like scared of it, you know? Cause like, if you think about it right now, it's a scary thing that can keep you up at night. Depending, mm-hmm. like, it's just like, all we know is consciousness and life. We don't know what the other side is like. Um, science tells us one thing, religion tells us something else. Um, there is, I don't know what that, if, if I knew the right answer, I would be the wealthiest person in the world, right? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or you'd start a cult, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so seeing death and being around death makes me understand and know what's scary and what's really upsetting for people that you love and that are around you. And so I'd want to have something that would minimize that for the people that would be with me and also maximize my sense of peace and i guess restfulness in that time Mm -hmm. um and i I mean we've been circling it um has there been a death that has affected you greatly yeah i think um the the only one that has truly affected me really greatly has been the death of my father which was in july of 2018 Mm -hmm. um i'd say it affected greatly because it happened, it went from like diagnosis of cancer in like mid-June to like death three weeks later in early July. Um, and when like something happens that fast, it just fucking like rocks you. Like it just like, it's like the biggest punch in the face in life you've ever had, right? Um, and it's not pretty. It's not like a died restfully in his peace at home. It's like a died in Sloan Kettering Memorial Cancer Hospital on a respirator for the past two days, like didn't get to say bye like Mm -hmm. looking like a skeleton of a man right like it's not like pretty it's not it's not like what the movie shows (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. it's the opposite you know and um yeah i just i remember being at a i remember being with you guys in the group in cape Mm -hmm. cod when i got the Mm -hmm. call from my mom my dad had a backache for like a couple weeks we went to the doctor and they said take a take a lot of uh ibuprofen it'll get better but that like destroyed his liver because the real issue was like he had blood cancer. He had a uh, myeloma. And I just remember getting that call with you guys in the cave. And I was like, oh shit, like this is like, I mean, even when you are told someone has cancer, it's like, okay, they'll get better. Right. Um, but like there was, yeah, when he didn't even get to take chemo, he like had one dose of chemo and he just was, his body couldn't handle anything. It's just that whatever he, whatever, viral load or whatever he had going on was just way too much for for him his body to take but i like really can vividly recall 
all of this time period of my mom was going through and calling me and like being in Lake Tahoe on July 4th weekend. Well, uh, let me backtrack. I, my dad got diagnosed. I went home the next week just to like be home for a week to like Mm -hmm. be with him and stuff. And then I went back to work um, a week after that and my older brother came home. So if I could rewind, I would have never have left because I, I could have been with him for another week or two while he was still alive and spending time with him, even though it was not pretty. Like I was picking him up and bringing him to the bathroom, like everything you can imagine like that. But um, my mom was not as forthcoming with information as I guess I wish she was. She knew it was like terminal stage three, but she didn't tell us that because she didn't want to like scare us or upset us. But Mm. I can't really fault. I can't. (laughs) I've never said anything to her like, why did you tell me? Because like, why? there's no point in like bringing that up now, mm-hmm. but I would have made a different decision. You know, I would not have gone back to work to where, you know, the, the last time I saw him after that was in the hospital on a respirator the day I had to take a red eye from Reno, Nevada to New York, go straight to the hospital. And a couple hours later, we decided to pull the life support because it's just nothing was going to come back basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was rough to just like, see someone you know or your father in like this like defeated position i mean you see people on respirators it's like mm-hmm. i think even in now in the news people don't understand what a respirator is like you're mm-hmm. intubated like you do not look good like mm-hmm. um seeing that and not even being able to like have a conversation is just sad to me it's yeah it's just that was that was a rough period it still is rough when i think about it i try not to think about it honestly mm-hmm. because it's just like not the best last memories mm-hmm. um and just when something happens that fast you just have no preparation mentally for it mm-hmm. the the fact that i was kind of like with you when you've heard yeah. the news and then that really quick turn yeah. um just a couple of weeks later, that was, I mean, that was shocking for me and I didn't know your dad, you know, like that was, yeah, was yeah. like, geez. And I think your initial response of you wanting to die around friends and family, not in a yeah. hospital makes a lot of sense because once you see what it, like how a lot of people do unfortunately die that way, like on, yeah. on event yeah. or in the ICU and just not looking how you at all remember them. Um, yeah. It really can leave a mark on people. and. Um, I think it's very clear why you don't want to be in a hospital when you die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hospitals suck. (laughs) Like they're just not, they're not good places. No one is happy there. I mean, Mm. you know, (laughs) like, um, it's just like a very dark place that like, is just, I haven't even been in a hospital since then. And that, you know, like it's, Mm. I I will remember the next time I go to one is like, Oh, the last time I was here was this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, um, and then I remember too, um, when all of this uh, COVID-19 was kind of popping up and you and Adam being on the very same wavelength, you know, like him, you know, the two of you being in the dead dad club of just being yeah. like, I'm so yeah. glad that this, that you've got, you, you were saying, you were like, you were glad that you went through these experiences. And, um, you know, for a lot of people who've gone through, who've had like really major life changes, like huge car accidents or what have you um something that I'm, I'm picking up from a lot of them like i had a friend who just, who's just diagnosed with breast cancer is mm-hmm. it's t- sort of like it's almost like relieving to have everybody 
have their life shaken up at the same time because you, it's like, oh, you guys kind of get what we were experiencing alone a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, it's it's good and bad. Like it's it's numbs you a little bit, which is not good, right? Mm-hmm. Like it numbs you to the point of where in the past four or five days, two, my mom has these two best friends, um, two women who both have ex-husbands who like are, they've had all their children with. Both of those men died in the past four days from COVID. Um, so they're like, they, one has four sons, one has two sons. And like, they're my mom's two best female friends, you know, um, even though they're ex-husbands, like those are your, those are the father of your children, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's, if you told my mom a year or me a year and a half ago that like, oh, the, the two people that helped her the most when my dad died and were at our house helping with everything and being there for her also now have lost their ex-husbands is like bonkers, you know? Like, it's just like, um, but yeah, part of me has like almost no emotional reaction to that, which I think is bad. It, it may, partly is because I've known these people, like I've known both of those men when I was younger for one more recently for the other spent several Jewish holidays, like having dinner with him mm-hmm. at my house, mm-hmm. but I never had like a very meaningful connection. Um, but yeah, it kind of numbs you to where it's like, I should feel more, but yeah, I've already felt so much. So mm-hmm. it's like, what else do I have to feel about this person? That's not, if it was my mom, I'm sure it'd be a lot different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's like kind of hard to not hard to, it's like, I know I can empathize really well, but it's also like, uh, how much do I want to let myself feel about that? Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm doing what I used to do, block, building up a wall and blocking out the real emotions that I feel because <laughs> it makes me feel too much about my own dad and I just don't want to push that away, you know? So there are, there are two like kind of tacks that I want to go down and I want this to be a choose your own adventure, Alex, at this Mm -hmm. point, one on one path is sort of the, your mom, you know, and as you know, she's 70, she's like going down that kind of like future planning, having already had one tough experience. And then the other tack is kind of going back to that experience of, of like flying in on that red eye and, and making that decision as a family or what happened or however it happened. Um, and just like, what did you learn from all of that? And I want to leave it to you to sort of, which way do you want to go? Let's go to the, the second one, because that's where the, that's where I feel like the realness is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, well, yeah, what, let, let's just, let's be, like, talk about that whole like flight coming back, seeing your father being with your, their, your, I assume your siblings at that time in like yeah. a couple hours yeah. later, that, that, that decision and, and the aftermath and the service, all of that. Yeah. So when, when he went in to try to get chemo mm-hmm. is when Dr. looked at all his vitals and was like, you have to go to the ICU. Like you can't even, can't even give you chemo. You can't even leave the hospital. Oh, geez. Um, and they saw something also off in the angiogram, meaning like something was going on with the heart too. And so that's when I got a call from my mom being like, hey, there's something going on here. We don't know exactly what, um, keep you posted. And I was in Lake Tahoe with friends having a good time on July 4th, because that's what my dad had told me to do. And my mom mm-hmm. said, go do that. And then uh, I think the second day we were there, I got a call saying that they had to intubate him because he just had some trouble breathing and like he just was so thirsty and something was going on with his throat and his lungs. 
And so that's when I knew I was like, okay, like, I think I should come. Like, I got a call from my brother being like, I think you should come home. Like, you know, like, as in, we don't think this is going to get better. And so, yeah, I just, I remember, I remember being with Margot um, in, in our room in this house. And I was just, I just like broke down. I was like, I gotta, I have to go home. And she didn't really understand, even though I kept explaining, <laughs> uh, you know, not, not because, because she didn't want to, you know what I mean? Like that, like no one understands. And you're like, I have to go home. This person's going to die. Yeah. That, that uh, real urgency is not, yes. so, it's like a physical, like primal thing that like, yeah. once I, once I see it in the family start, it's just like, yeah, this, it needs to happen. They had booked a flight. Like that was like a couple hours later. And I had to, I had my friend drive me to, to Reno airport, landed at JFK on the red eye, like just, I remember like not thinking or doing anything. I was just kind of like zoned out, upset, crying a lot. And people are probably like, what's wrong with this person? And it's like, you just want to scream at them. Not, not because they're being, you know what I mean? No one understands. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember getting to the hospital and seeing my brothers very upset. We're like, you know, and my mom very upset, but like, obviously I try to bring some humor in smile and make a joke, whatever. But like once I went into the room and like saw him and it was like, Oh, like it just, it was hard to do that more, you know? And it was just like this period of each of us going in to like see him and say our goodbyes, potentially like essentially, uh, you know, very quickly that day, like there's these, these, like, I don't know what you call them, but like the terminal end of life consultants. Like hospice you know. or palliative care. Yes, we were coming up to discuss like what they believe we should do or what we would want to do. Um, they basically told us he was not going to get better. They couldn't take him off the intubation tube. And so really more with me and Daniel, my brothers, we were like, well, we think the right thing to do is to like let him go. Like, I mean, like not to say <laughs> it was harder for my mom because she's like, well, what if he wakes up? Like, what if he gets better? And we're like, you know, it's, it's, it's for us, we all hope that and wish that, but like, I'm not a doctor, you're a doctor. Everything that these machines were telling the doctors were like, all these organs were shutting down. Like all this stuff was like happening. Like if we take him off this stuff, like he will pass away, you know, like he's literally using all these machines to stay alive. And so we we decided as a family to like that, that what he would want is not to be like this to be a drawn out process over many days or weeks or whatever. Um, and he was just so uncomfortable and so unhappy, even the past couple of weeks of being alive, that I just knew that that's what he would want. But, but it was hard for my mom. She was it was really we were it was easy for me and my brothers to say we we think we know what he would want. We should like. Put, put the fentanyl on whatever needs to be on and slowly take off the different machines and stuff like that um but my mom didn't fight us in any way like she knew it was the right thing to do but it's really hard i guess for you it's different not hard it's differently hard for a wife to 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 knowingly do that to your husband or knowingly give up that support to your husband of like 30 40 years mm-hmm. um and the reason I say surrounded by my family is the way I want to go is because that's what we ha- that's what happened to him, right? Like we were all in there holding his hands. He didn't. I hope he knew he knew that we were there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's that was. Yeah, I remember coming home from the hospital with his bag, 
he wasn't with us. And I feel as all now saying this, but like, I remember coming home and having his bag and realizing he wasn't coming home with us. And that's when I really knew like, oh, shit, like that's really happened. Yeah, a lot of time I don't allow myself to feel this because it's just so much sadness, but yeah, it's still there. Thank you. Do you feel like you, you, one thing that I picked up on was that that Margot conversation being like, I need to leave. Um, yeah. Did that, do you think that marked a change in your relationship? Or, or maybe in the aftermath of this and her supporting you through, through, you know, this wild change in your life over just a few weeks? Not as much as you think, because I blocked her out. Mm. Like, she's like, should I come with you? And I was like, no, I didn't want her to come with me because I didn't want to like, put her through what I was going through too um but like I should have let her be there for me you know and even when she would like come over to my house after and the days after I was like keeping an arm's length because mm-hmm. it's like I'm the type of person that when like all these bad things happen or all these sadness emotions like I don't want to be hugged or maybe I feel like I don't want to be maybe I do need it but like I generally like want space, um, but maybe that's not the best thing. Um, and so I, I kind of like put the wall up big, like even, t- even taller for a while, honestly. Mm-hmm. But do you, do you think but, but you... looking back on it, mm-hmm. I should have done the opposite, right? I should have mm-hmm. like let it in more. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was sort of my question is like, if it were this to unfortunately happen, like, I guess, like, could you, do you think you even would have gotten to that point with Margot unless this, like you brought the walls up and you're like, this really sucks and you start to bring it down or like, um, do you think that you would have handled it totally differently if, if you were in this space with her and this happened? Yeah, I think I would have handled it differently. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have like let her, let it in more and like definitely would not have want to taken that flight and gone home alone and done all the things alone, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I guess I was still in the mindset of like, that's how I do, that's how I'm no, with this person. That's how I'm living my life. Or this is how I handle these things. Mm-hmm. And you're what, like um, a little over a year and a half away from that going on to, yeah, it'll, be, it'll be two years in July. Yeah. Um, and I know that the first year for folks, especially with that grief cycle, is it can be really tough. Like the first birthday without this person, the first their birth, yeah. you know, all of that. Um, until yeah. they're until like thirteen months later, you're well past that death day. Um, did you learn a lot about yourself over that year, um, over that first cycle, and how has it changed in the second year? A lot of the first year was spent just like organizing. 
or like a lot of the first year I distracted myself with like the job of like picking up the pieces and like mm. organizing stuff like whether that was financials to bills to like paying in the house car like literally anything you could ever imagine that you need to do that you deal with now like my mom had never had done before and I had mm. to like gather all this stuff set it up in the right way so that everything still got paid and everything was in her name and this and that and like a lot of it was spent that way um which to me was a useful distraction but also like probably didn't allow me to like fully realize and like feel a lot of it too you know mm -hmm. um and then i know like yeah my like birthdays, holidays, our birthdays, like my mom really struggles with those. Like she struggles like to to not kind of uh, break up when she tries to talk to us or tell us something, you know? Um, it's my dad's birthday this month in a couple of weeks. And I just know like if I call her that day, she like won't answer the phone, you know? She wants to avoid as well. Mm. Um, I think a, a big piece in which we, a big, park when we knew the absence was really felt at my brother's wedding um to where you know i gave the toast that my dad would have given right and i gave a toast like as you know from his point of view which i can i'm happy to share with you um Please. but yeah and i think that i'll feel that same in mind right mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it's like the I don't really know when you're done grieving, you know? <laughs> like, I, like in Judaism, it's like there's the whatever days of sitting Shiva, it's called. It's like seven or eight days. You sit at your house, oh, yeah. you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And then you're supposed to be done. But like, that's like, again, that's like a tradition versus like reality, right? Mm -hmm. um, so part of me thinks that there's always things I'm still missing and thinking about, you know? Or a lot of times I'm, I find myself thinking what would he do in a situation that I, or like how would he handle something mm -hmm. that usually it's with like elegance and so that's how I can push myself towards doing something like that as opposed to like the opposite right mm -hmm. um I think something that will bring back a lot and be very difficult is like at whatever point my mom sells the house in New Jersey that we live in like with all the stuff like that's going to be like you know an emotional ride of when we have to clean this out like even yeah it's there's there are things that have still not been done that will bring back a lot of it you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um yeah i think that you're definitely still in that grieving cycle um yeah and there's a long ways out and i think you know part of me hopes that when you feel like you are done with it is when you as your and your siblings are a little bit closer in the way that he may have wanted. Um, but who knows? And that's, you know, tough to put those expectations on anybody. Um, yeah. But I guess now I think it's now, now, like, how do you, what about that preparation for your mother and like the, you know, you caring for her and like taking up a lot of that, like paternal role um, out of necessity and just like, how has that been? Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. <laughs> like in many ways, it, I feel like I'm contributing and helping her in so many ways, but then the other side of it, like I'm no longer treated as her son, right? Like, mm. or I don't feel like I'm her son. Like, um, 
because I had to do all these other things. And that's what she looks to me to do. I've like replaced, I filled the role of, of my dad in many ways of, of handling stuff for her and, you know, coordinating stuff among, um, among my brothers and stuff. And so what's happened since then in preparation is like, I think we're both more knowledgeable about what end of life planning and having a will, a proper will. That's not from when your children were born in 1986, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is, that's all said and stuff like that. But just like making sure everything is like set so that it doesn't be the, not the worst, but like, you don't want to make it like a really big burden for for other people after you. Right. And Mm -hmm. That's not to say my dad did that on purpose. By any means, he was trying to protect my mom from dealing with all the bullshit of everyday life anyway. And that's why he did it all. But um, it can be a really big burden if you like don't do the proper things. And like, you know, if you have no will and you have assets, or you have this and that, and like it has to be probate court and this or that. And it's not about, about the money. It's just about like, no one wants to have to go through this after mm-hmm. also experiencing loss. Mm-hmm. um and so and maybe i sound like a, a like a like a death lawyer a, a will lawyer now or a state lawyer where like the whole point of it is like to make it really easy for everyone to just like to not move on but to like once once you die that it doesn't become a complicated mess for everyone else to further traumatize you know mm-hmm. you don't have to notarize forms and like all of that oh god no <laughs> no or probate court or the cars or this or that yeah Um, I want to spend more time here, but I also know that our time is limited for this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, um, I think time, time will change your responses. And I think it'll be really interesting yeah. to sort of see um, where you are in a few years. But, uh, um, at this time, how do you answer that next, that final prompt of after I die, I want. After I die, I want to have something other than nothing (laughs) and by that i mean the scariest part of death to me is the fact that you just are darkness black nothing you're nothing right like a lot of i don't know if you watch altered carbon on netflix but like this there's this you should watch this show there's a show where this concept is you never really die because like human consciousness is they've been able to use like an alien technology to like stick it on like a disc like this big and that disc can just be inserted into a body or sleeve and it goes right here and like you can kill a body or sleeve but you take that disc out you put it in something else you can have remote backups like you know consciousness lives on forever um and there's even a black mirror episode of this too where like once you die they put your consciousness into this machine and you're with everyone else living in like this fake world um that sounds better to me than the than the potential or the most likely real effect of like just you know your organism and all your cells are dead and you become nothing but that i want to believe that there's something else that happens after but because i'm just uncomfortable with the fact that your existence just ends and i don't really want that but i don't know what i don't know no one knows what that is right and and even if there was something available to translate your consciousness into some digital form i think that would be stuff like that like cloning and that like makes governments really scared about who actually has control and so if that was a real thing i think it would potentially never even come out you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. so um it sounds like you haven't had any experiences or or really like you you kind of know what you don't want but you don't know what you mm-hmm. do want in terms of like yeah. 
Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, because there's just so much general unknown to me in general there. Like, I, like if I was to say, yeah, I want there to be like a, like a little playground in the clouds where you're just chilling out and having a great time. Like, yeah, that sounds great. But like, again, the realistic part of me thinks that that is, <laughs> sounds stupid. <laughs> mm. Mm. I think there's like and, that, there's that control too in there somewhere like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, I guess from from upbringing and like the, the Jude, Jewish views in the afterlife, there are some, but like I don't really know them, and like there is not a really large concept of like heaven versus hell. Like you mm. know, like there's just I don't think, or maybe I'm just uneducated, but like the concept of like heaven is not really a thing. Mm. Mm. What is the Jewish? Uh like general speaking you know uh on afterlife is there like is there, a there, there is definitely there definitely is and i'm just I'm honestly just unaware like i just mm. need to google it today <laughs> gotcha gotcha um and so you talked but a lot I, about mm-hmm. i think it's interesting how like to answer this question that's where i'm going like after you know what i mean like i, I think that that's not the purpose of the question the question probably can be answered in many different ways but mm maybe my uncertainty and the feeling of lack of control makes me think more towards that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And actually that was exactly what I was going to point out is like, uh, so that's what happens to Alexander Minot after you die. But then what yes. about for like your community, for people around you, um, uh, for like the world at large, um, you know, beyond just Alexander, Alex's world, like the world, like, what do you imagine? Yeah, no, that, that helps the kind of position it differently for me. And I think it's, maybe similar to an answer I had for the for a previous mm-hmm. question but like I guess you like want to be remembered you know like you want like you want people to be remembering you in a good way you want people to like be able to say they he gave me this or he, this person provided this to me in my life not even again not financially but like in any format of like mm-hmm. whether it's knowledge or graciousness something like that um to where like you know, you want to be told in stories and remembered in a way that like brings joy and positivity, I think. And to that point, I think you, I think you've even described a way in which it's like you're living it is, is the way you're, you recall your father and how would he act in certain situations yes. um, and you yeah. use that as the memory versus, you know, if were you know, even five years ago, would you have ever thought that, you know, like, what would my dad do yeah. in that situation? Yeah, no, probably. I mean, I always felt myself becoming a little bit more like him in my mannerisms and, <laughs> and things I would say or do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of uh, what you just said, yeah, absolutely. Like, not like the, how would he handle this situation? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as we as we get towards the end of this conversation, I wonder, uh, do you do you ever think about what life is going to, like, what the world or the universe is going to be like? And, 10,000 years, 100,000 years, like that deep future, like altered, like for way past altered carbon, just like what, what will, what, what do you hope for life on earth? I mean, here we'll get to my internal darkness, but like, I hope it's still around. (laughs) Right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, that being said, like, in the 1980s, the, the nuclear clock was doomsday clock was that whatever, like everyone thought the world, you know, everyone thought everything was going to shit, but like, we're still here. Um, so I don't think it's going to be like a massive war that ends us, but I believe our 
mistreatment of the planet will probably make this an inhabitable, inhabitable, inhabitable place in the future or unhabitable, whatever the word is. Um, Uninhabitable. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's, okay. it's too early. Uh, I need another coffee. Um, part of me, yeah, it would be surprising to think that that would, that we would still be here that far out mm. or on this place. Mm-hmm. Mm. I hear you. I hear, I hear where you're coming from. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think this has been a really great conversation. I think, um, I hope so. Yeah. I liked it. I really, I'm, I'm, I was a big fan. Uh, (laughs) I was a big fan the whole time. And, um, you know, we had been talking about doing this for like the past year or so. Um, yep. Yep. But I'm really glad that this is the time now. Um, and I think this is a really great conversation and I want to give you the floor to speak to the audience directly whether it is yourself listening in a couple of years or um, it's maybe your, you know, children in 10, you know, 20 something years or somebody who just kind of, you know, listened to this and was like, this Alexander Minot dude's pretty cool. Um, I want <laughs> to give you the floor to speak to them directly. Um, whatever you want to say. The floor is yours. Cool. It might not be super related to what we just talked about, but I guess like the advice or the knowledge that I would tell people is not everything is as personal as it seems, or as you think it is. And everything is not so emotional. And a lot of this, I think, just applies to like everyday life and how to like be happier and more present and less angry and less frustrated and less like, you know, pent up. And so I think if we all take that approach a little bit and maybe we're seeing it now with the way the world is going, where like people are just being nicer to people and that's just a better way. And it's things I think about. Um, it's easier to be nice. It's harder to be a jerk. It feels better to be nice. Um, I think I'm bringing this up just because most people would say about my dad that he was just like the nicest person always. And for him, that was like easy, always on. Didn't have to fake it. It just was how he was naturally. And so I think if we all can take a little bit of that, like we would just, you know, sprinkle that around especially during this time when like there's so much uncertainty and craziness going on. Like it's, I think we can all learn from it and grow from it. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you for the time. This has been Alexander Mina on death. <laughs>